pressing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 91. Today we're going to chat with John Sharps from Sharps Bros. Talk about an awkward moment for a train employee and discuss how a 1500 bull actions. Today's panel is Chris Deeb and I'm your host, Ava Flannell. Welcome to the show, everyone. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Good. All right. So before we get into it, let's talk about Manicore Arms. So Manicore Arms has a bunch of different muzzle devices. I actually am going to get one for my 308, but they have them. They, I mean, they work amazing. There's a lot of videos out there where you can just see, you know, somebody shooting and they're just right on target. Very little, I mean, very little movement whatsoever. Shot my 308 yesterday, experienced a little bit more recoil than I would have liked. So definitely getting one, but they have a variety of different sizes and the price is pretty on point. It's, I mean, average, I would say is anywhere from like 30 to $65, but you are not going to pay full price because if you use that code gunfunny15, that will get you 15% off. And that's at manicorearms.com. Learn the things you never knew on deconstructing the industry. All right, John. So tell us a little bit about Sharps Bros. Okay. Um, well, Sharps Bros uh, manufactures or designs and manufactures receivers and related components for the modern sporting rifles. And in that category, I'd put the AR-15, the AR-10, and the AK. Okay. And then what did you do before you started the company? Well, I started Sharps Bros in 2012, but I worked at Microsoft for about 15 years with a little bit of overlap, but I got my sort of start in the hardware business uh, working for Microsoft. They have, I don't know, let's say 130,000 employees, but they have this really small group that focuses on hardware, everything from computer mice, computer keyboards to Xbox, Xbox accessories, the whole surface line of products. And so I spent sort of my formative business years working in that group, learning how to develop and manufacture products. Wow. At first I was going to say, wait a minute, pump the brakes. You worked for Microsoft, but we couldn't even figure out the audio before the show. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess you're kind of off the hook. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny that it took Google Chrome to to get it squared away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No hardware guy. Okay, cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I spent just more than, I guess, almost 15 years at Microsoft, mostly traveling to Asia, helping them launch products there and bring up big manufacturing lines that could manage very high volumes of product. Are you a pretty big, like, do you play a lot of video games and stuff? Uh, I used to. It's like we would have really early access to things like, you know, when Halo first came out, we would all have the beta codes for Halo 1, 2, 3. So we'd have them months in advance um, to help them test the game. Yeah, sort of, I think of it as like a pre-kids time frame in my life where, yeah, I played I played quite a bit, but not as much anymore. Chris, how turned on are you right now by John? Oh, I love it. I'm in the same boat. So it's like <laughs> actually working on development and, uh, 
and actually being able to, to hands on and pull things apart and build them is always awesome. So I, I love the industry, both of them. All right. So if John, yeah, I really, really liked being part of the Xbox industry. It was sort of a, uh, they spun up the group almost as a totally different company than Microsoft because at the time, you know, Microsoft was really, people thought of them as the empire and the blue screen of death and, they wanted to bring up that Xbox org as a totally different organization. Um, and they did a really good job of that sort of keeping it isolated. And so it was a really fun place to work. Really fun. Right on, man. I'm sure I know some people over there that are still there and uh, it's good folks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, good group of people. Well, if that impressed you, Chris, John, what was your first entrepreneurial gig in school? <laughs> okay. So my first my, the first time that I ever sort of connected doing work to making money besides like, you know, mowing a lawn or something like that for a neighbor, not that I ever got paid for mowing our own lawns, but <laughs> I had a friend who had a paper route. This is probably like fourth grade, I think. And one day he came running over to my house and said like that I had to come with him to see something down the street he had delivered a paper to a house, this old guy's house, and it was like garbage day the next day. And on top of the garbage can was this black bag that had a note for the garbage man that said something like, I'm too old for these, but I can't bear to throw them away. <laughs> and like we knew instantly like what it was going to be inside. And so, so we grabbed this – a bag of what was uh, turned out to be just tons of Playboy magazines. And we turned that into a little business. We started, we started cutting out like the half page pictures, the full page, the centerfolds and stuff. And we started selling them to our friends and made pretty good money on that for like quite a while. Like we had this little cigar box that we kept the product in. They were all rolled up really nice. Just like, like we were drug dealers or something, you know, like <laughs> we'd sell a, a, a centerfold for like a buck, you know, cause this is, this is many years ago now. So it was, that was a lot of money and, you know, a little more risque pictures for a little bit more, a little bit less. I mean, we were kind of arbitrary in our pricing scheme, but we had just totally free inventory and we had a pretty good paying amount of customers. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a really good business for a while until, some kid got caught with a, a collection and it doesn't take long for for someone who happily was buying product over a course of weeks to sort of point fingers at someone else when they when they got caught red-handed. So we had to close shop. Oh, man. That is That's a damn shame, though. man. Yeah. I know. My is- second job was not as, as glamorous. We started like taking chrome caps off of like tire stem caps off of cars <laughs> and selling those to our friends. We we're like, well, we can sell these, you know, to our friends with bikes. But unlike the Playboy magazines where, you know, we're buying guns or something where you're happy to have multiple, um, you only need sort of one set of caps for your bike and guys weren't like really into buying that. So that, that business didn't last that long either. I mean, we made a little bit of money, but. The risk was super high that we would get caught, you know, because we're essentially stealing these off cars. Right. And then, you know, 
they were a little bit harder of a sell. But those really were my first two entrepreneurial things. It's crazy that you would have, you know, you were on your way. I mean, clearly anybody who would hear that story, they're like, yeah, this kid is definitely going to be like the number one drug dealer in the U.S. (laughs) But luckily you got your act together. And then you started Sharps Bros, which I was actually always under the impression that Sharps Bros was owned by two brothers. Yeah, I um it is just owned by me. Um and I do but I do have a brother and he's totally into guns, but he's just in a he's in a different industry. I named it Sharps Bros after my two boys. Cuz when I had the our first product was Hellbreaker. Uh-huh. And when I came out with Hellbreaker, I was still working for Microsoft. I had this thing designed. I knew I thought I could sell them. Um but I also didn't I needed sort of a runway of products before I felt like I had a business. You know, I needed a runway in my mind of like, okay, if we come up with this first, what's next, that type of thing. And mm-hmm. and so by naming it after my boys, it served a couple purposes. One was it kept me focused on the idea of creating something that had legs or a legacy. And then two, it gave us a name that was significantly different than – or not significantly different, but different enough from Sharp's Rifle Company that people wouldn't be confused by it. Oh. You know, if that company couldn't, hadn't existed, I might have just named it that, but – so you said your first design was the Hellbreaker? Yeah, my first design was a Hellbreaker. I was I just had the idea of like I I mean for a long time I I guess since back since fourth grade I really wanted to be in work for myself and I did just some insane hours at Microsoft and working on big projects where you know we work on something for 9 months to a year and then finally see the product on the shelves at Best Buy. And then months later, they've sold like a hundred million dollars worth of the product. Like that started to eat at me for a while or Mm -hmm. after a while, like, man, I need to be doing something for myself. Um, And on the side, just, just as a hobby, I was doing some technical diving in Lake Washington, uh, which is right there in, in the Puget Sound in the Redmond, Washington area. And it's a freshwater lake. It's really deep. And it used to have on its shores, the Sandpoint Naval Air Station. And during the World War II timeframe, they had a bunch of World War II aircraft that crashed in the lake and they're still in the bottom of the lake. And they still have, because it's cold and fresh water, the wrecks are really well preserved. They still got their 50 cal machine guns mounted on them, you know, or bomb bay doors open on a, like a TBF-1 Avenger that's in the, in the lake. And it's one time when my kids were just really young and it was a rainy Seattle day and we were just looking for something that would like get us out of the house. We decided to go to the air and space museum in in Seattle. And I was just going to show the kids this, what a Corsair looked like. Cause we had just been diving a wrecked Corsair in the lake. And as we were in the air and space museum, walking to a Corsair, we came across a P40 Warhawk that had the, uh, the face, the sort of the shark or tiger face painted on it. And I just looked at my wife and I'm like, man, someone should put that into a receiver. And at the time, people were doing laser – a lot of laser engraving was new. Uh At that point, like people would laser etch, you know, funny things into the side of the receiver or just whatever they wanted into the receiver. It was like sort of a new new thing for our industry. But I I didn't want it to be lasered. I wanted it to really be machined into the – into the product. You know, I wanted it to be the product. Yeah. And nobody and it was born from that. Nobody at that time was doing that. No, it I mean, really there isn't anyone doing it still besides ourselves. I mean, there's there's one competitor that's come up, but I don't I don't really think they're moving very much product. But yeah, no one was doing that. Um I just sat down with 
I have some solid modeling experience and I have a whole bunch of friends from Microsoft um, that were really great SolidWorks CAD type people. And we just started, um, I just started chipping away at it until I had a model. And then um, I, I was, I've been really into firearms my whole life, but I wasn't really the time like really into the AR scene. And so I posted a picture of it on AR15.com just to see like what the feedback would be. And like, man, instantly people either just loved it or they, they hated it so much. They were taking time out of their day to tell me what a POS I must be, you know? (laughs) And so like, I don't know, in the early days you hear, um, 10 or nine good things and one bad things people tend to over index on, on the negative. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe this isn't a good idea, but eventually I realized anything that drives passionate responses either for or against you, usually there's, you can make a market out of that. And that's still less today. Like people either just really love our stuff and see it as artwork, or they understand that people have been, adorning their weapons since they were chucking spears and flinging arrows and that this is just a modern day version of it or they really really hate our stuff and and that's okay yeah i remember the first time that i saw your product it was at a gun show and i think it was the vendor next to me he had just gotten his gun cerakoted and it had one of your lowers on it and i just remember thinking like wow that's amazing like it's so different than anything else out there And, um, you know, it's, it's stupid, but you know, here I am thinking, cause this was like years ago when I didn't really have that much knowledge about guns, but I just assume like, oh, okay. They, you know, it's probably like in a mold, like you think, how do they make that? And it's a mold, but, um, it's actually milled out from a bill of aluminum. And I did watch the video that you have on your website, which is really cool to see. It's like amazing that machines are just capable of doing this thing. You basically create the design and then it, it just does everything for you. But do you want to kind of talk about that process? Well, sure. I mean, everything starts for us really as a napkin sketch or a, uh, an image that we'll just sort of hold as a guidepost. And we design in SolidWorks first on the computer. And that can literally take months to try and get to a spot where you feel like, or we feel like um, that it looks the product looks good. And then once it's designed in SolidWorks, then we have to figure out how to teach the machines how to how to actually cut what we have modeled in SolidWorks. So there's a whole bunch of CNC programming time of just translating what's in SolidWorks into CNC machine code, um, which is it takes special level geniuses to pull that off, especially with some of our stuff, which is just some of the most complicated receivers that are that are out there in terms of manufacturing. And there's a lot of fixtures that have to get developed and made in order to hold the product properly and or hold multiple billets of aluminum at the same time type thing. And really from from napkin sketch to having a product in our hands that we can test and use is nine months to a year most of the time. So I get a lot of people that email me like every week, hey, you should you know do this Trump lower that people have posted pictures of, or you should do a wolf or a gorilla or a tiger or whatever it is. But we have to be very, very careful sort of choosing what the next thing is that we're going to work on because the engineering time is so long and the investment is so long that it has to be something that's going to resonate with a lot of people so that we can sort of win with volume. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So we are here with John Sharps, and we're going to take a break just to talk about Hackett Equipment. So guys, I don't know if our listeners knew this, but if you are doing trade shows or maybe you have your own gun store, Hackett Equipment, they're looking for people to sell their stuff and uh, there's, you know, pretty good deals in, involved with it. So I would definitely recommend if you're interested, uh, contact Greg over at Hackett Equipment and uh, get set up with that. Otherwise, if you just want to get a range bag, which they make some really awesome bags, go to HackettEquipment.com, use that code GUNFUNNY20, and that gets you 20% off. All right. So I'm curious, John, what influences your designs? Like the ones that have stuck with you, is it just, you know, you'll see something like, like a, a skull head or something. You're like, Oh, I need that. Like that would be an awesome receiver. Yeah. Usually, I mean, the start, that one, the first tailbreaker was just, you know, the just happenstance of what I was working on at the time and, and wanting to be in business for myself and just having a spark of an idea post that initial spark. Yeah. We do think sort of think through what other receiver designs would resonate with people and how do we, how do we raise the bar each time, you know, because we want them to be better and better and more complicated and more fantastic designs as we go forward. Mm -hmm. My, my actual second receiver after Hellbreaker though was, wasn't just one that I call main streak. It doesn't have a face on it or anything, just kind of nice flowing lines to it. Yeah. And I, uh, that one. I had showed that to spikes because our, when we first got going in the business, I, you know, I finally had made a, a single hellbreaker and was trying to figure out how I was going to distribute this product out to, to dealerships, you know, and, and I was looking for someone really much bigger than ourselves to pick the product up. And Spikes was someone that answered the call. And I called a lot of people and knocked on a lot of doors trying to get people to to accept this as a product that would sell. And I had Jason Kearns at Mega Arms at the time tell me that he just thought we would sell. You know, he thought the idea was really impressive and that he thought we would sell a lot of them. And but that their capacity was just max and they couldn't take on anything else. And spikes really was um, the only other company that was like, yeah, no, no, I think this will, I think, I think these will sell. And so I had met with spikes. We sold Hellbreaker, and the very next receiver I designed was not, didn't have a face at all. I don't even know what I was thinking to be honest at the time. Like I just thought it was a really cool design and I showed it to spike his name is Mike Register. He's, he's one of the owners of Spikes Tactical. That's named after him. And he was just like, man, what are you doing? He's like, he's like, people, they're going to want, you need to come out with another face design. You know, people are going to start buying the collection. And so I took his advice. I was like, yeah, you know, he's probably right. And I could build a foundation of products here with different face designs. And um, I took that mean streak design, went back up into my hotel room in Las Vegas because I was meeting with them at SHOT Show. And I drew Warthog right over the top of Mean Streak and brought it back down to him. Like, how about Warthog? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, that'll that'll do. I think that was yeah. my favorite. Yeah, we sell a lot of a lot of Warthogs to, to people that like to hunt hogs, and, and we hunt hogs with them as well. It's kind of a it's a really cool design. It's one of my favorites. But I also like the design of like the live wire, where it is just was that is that the design that you were talking about, or did that come later on? 
Uh, I don't sell Mean Streak anymore, but Livewire is sort of our quote unquote normal one now. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, I also think it's really, really clean lines, big, heavy flared magwell, mm-hmm. just enough. Yeah, of absolutely. What you, need, you know, definitely. Like it's, it's we, still very beautifully designed. Yeah, thank you. We do sell. That's kind of our dark horse a little bit. You know, like I want that one to be very low price. Um, we sell other parts now too, so upper receivers, hand guards, and stuff. And because our our receivers are so complicated that drives up their price to the point to where they are now, which is, you know, like our Jack receiver, which is our most complicated one mm-hmm. retails for two eighty nine. I wanted other parts, including live wire. If someone wanted to, to build a, a receiver that didn't have a face design or they wanted to finish out their sharp Bros receiver build with other parts that were really well designed, but very low cost. So the rest of our stuff is, just as clean as designs and as low cost as as that I could make them. Nice. You know, so for the longest time, I thought that your work was designed by Spikes Tactical. I thought Spikes Tactical was the company that was, you know, launching your products. Um, Do you get that pretty often? Yeah. People still think like I've seen people contact Spikes and say like, Hey, you know, bring, why don't you sell the Jack anymore? And just, it's just one of those things. It was a decision I had to make early on of like, look, do I want to get this receiver out there and lose some brand recognition in getting the product out there? But hey, I'll I'll be in the business and I'll be selling receivers and making money. And, and that's kind of what I prioritize at the time. Like building up a distribution infrastructure in the firearm space, like getting your foot in the door at some of the major distributors like – RSR or Sports South or Xanders or Chattanooga, like those guys, that's very hard to do. And at the, when I came out with Hellbreaker, like I had nothing and, and I just worked at Microsoft. And so I had a little bit of money and I had a product that I thought would sell, but no one really wants to, to bank on something brand new like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to find people that are, that are willing to take the risk, but Spikes was, and Spikes had, you know, a years long, distribution infrastructure built up and so it was a very very easy thing for me to ship them in bulk to spikes and have them pull them out and put them in the spikes box and send them out to their distributors so it ended up being in the end it ended up being sort of a distributor selling to another distributor is the way it worked out and and now part of the reason we have been able to lower our pricing is because we've grown enough to be able to go direct to distribution and so that cuts someone out of the out of the middle, essentially, mm-hmm. to making profit on the product, and that ends up meaning the lower cost to consumer. Yeah, and then you guys, it was it recent that you kind of branched off into AK receivers, or has that? Because I just um, noticed that when I was browsing your website. Yeah, I mean the AK receiver is sort of a niche thing for us. Like we 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 really love the AK platform, and I am very proud of this. Um, AK receiver. This one is also milled from billet, but it's a 15 pound block of 4140 steel. I mean, we, we can only make 20 of them in a week wow. running across two shifts. It's like in a pretty crazy amount of machine time, but they're, they're very beautiful. I think they're the best receivers on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. Honest to God, I like, obviously well, I'm biased, but I really do feel like there was also a review very, by very Jim Fuller who said that it was the best receiver. Yeah, so right. for that's how I got started in the space. Like I was sitting around a campfire with my brother and just talking about ideas and he's a big AK guy and uh, really loves the AK platform and we just said, you know, what if we what if we just milled in 
an AR buffer extension into the back of a receiver so that an AK receiver so that people have this whole extra amount of stock options to choose from, you know, from the pistol stocks to just, you know, the AR market in stocks. Mm -hmm. There's just hundreds of different types to choose from. So that was probably the summer of like 2015, I would say. And then I think I sold or shipped the first samples to Rifle Dynamics um, in about May of 2016. So it took, it took a while just to even get Rifle Dynamics to to hear me calling, you know, like yeah. if you just want to call up and hear, talk to Jim Fuller, it's, it's hard to do um, until you're in the door, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I basically bombarded rifle dynamics with like images of my design and, and finally reached someone there. And then things went pretty fast. Very nice. And they did, they helped us. We, you know, we had the design maybe I would say 95% or maybe 90%. And Jim spent, a good amount of time of his personal time, just trying to help us dial in all the little details to make sure that it, that it was really solid. Yeah. It's, that's one thing that I would like to do maybe is like build an AK, but it's nothing like building an AR. Right. It's much more like blacksmithing versus yeah. Lego building. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> well, I mean the thing to do, there's a bunch of, you know, rifle dynamics offers, build classes. And yeah. I think Vince does, Vince Buckles does as well. There's a, there's a few different AK build classes out there where you can bring your own receiver and they'll, and use their equipment and they'll show you how to do it. Yeah. It's a really good experience. That's yeah. I, I know somebody actually told me that, that that's what I should do is just take a class there. So it's on my list of things to do, but so when did you guys start making other products for ARs? Cause you actually, I mean, that's crazy. Cause you know, typically I think you guys just offer lowers, but then when I was looking at your website today, I mean, you have like all kinds of stuff. And I mean, granted, some of it is not, it's like other companies that you guys are selling on your website. But when did you start stocking all of these things? Like, you know, bolt carrier group, lower assembly kits, stocks. Well, we, so let's say, I guess Hellbreaker was like 2013 and we added a receiver every year after Warthog 2014, the Jack was 2015. Then the Jack, it started selling so well that we expanded on it and came out with the Jack 10 set uh, for AR 10 builds and a Jack nine for pistol caliber carbine builds. Um, so we spent a couple years just expanding the Jack line and then 2017, we came out with overthrow, which is like a Spartan or other type of helmet design. Mm -hmm. And then sort of late 2017, as we were going out on our own, I decided that I wanted to start offering just the rest of the build components, you know, upper receivers that matched perfectly with all of our lower receivers, mm -hmm. hand guards that matched perfectly with the, the upper receiver. And then the other stuff that you might see on our website is really just recommended parts from us. I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many options out there for building an AR 15. Like you can build it a thousand different ways from Sunday. And I get a lot of questions about which parts do you, you know, what are your recommended parts? So we really just curated on our website recommended parts for for finishing out your AR that aren't Sharps Bros related. So you want a trigger, I'm going to recommend the CMC flat trigger, which I think is amazing. And yeah, um, you want to get this uh, ratchet lock castle nut from PWS, which I think is really nice and things like that, you know, or a bolt carrier group for a reasonable price that still has the 
the NIB coding. Yeah. Um, so we point to a lot of stuff on, on our website, just, just as a recommended curated parts. But our main thing is the lower receivers. I think of that as like the sort of the foundation for the house. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, we've got uppers and hand guards and we've expanded into the AK space and, I like the design uh, of the handguards. I like that um, like it's very sleek looking, but you have the Picatinny rail that doesn't go throughout the entire handguard. It's just in the front and then in the back. Yeah, just enough. Solid yeah. is. Super yeah, I like lightweight. That. Just just enough. Very nice. So what are Thank your plans for the future? Well, right now the so I have a couple of other I have another receiver that's designed, but I think we're gonna leave on this the quote unquote shelf for a little while. And I have been looking at bolt action rifles. So right now I'm really infatuated with these Howa 1500 mini action and small action chassis mm-hmm. or sorry, small action barreled actions. It's like you can go to Brownells and buy a Howa 1500 barreled action for a pretty low price, like say sub 400 bucks. And um, so we are right now designing a chassis, a bolt action chassis that is just going to be very unique, you know, no face design, but a very unique chassis that will work for the Howa mini action, which covers two, two, three, seven, six, two by 39, 300 blackout and six, five Grendel, which is wow. my favorite caliber. And which, then uh, we'll probably follow with the small action. Very cool. That's really exciting. Yeah. I'm very excited about the, the bolt action chassis. I don't expect, you know, we'll it'll sort of be like our AK stuff where if I compare it to the Jack, I think we're up over 18,000 sold on the Jack, but you know, the, the AK, which is one of my favorite portions of our business doesn't move a ton of volume, you know, and the bolt action may not move a ton of volume either, but it's going to be just a beautiful, beautiful chassis and it's going to be low cost. And I think we'll surprise some people with some of the details that, that we put into it, some of its inner workings. So yeah, I'm excited to, when do you expect to see that hit the market? I will start showing samples this summer, you know, worth in, I've got it. It's being programmed now on the machine. So as soon as I have the first couple of samples, it will be impossible for me to keep myself from like wanting to show a picture of it online. (laughs) So we'll start showing pictures of it here soon. And, and then I would expect it to the first parts to be available um, sometime in the summer. Okay, cool. And then for listeners that want to find you online, where can they find you? Well, our website is sharpsbros.com. Um, and then Instagram is, you know, Instagram.com slash sharpsbros, Facebook.com slash sharpsbros. Those are our main, main places to reach us. And you can try, you can email us through any one of those channels, either through the contact page on sharpsbros.com or Facebook or Instagram. And those all just come direct to me. I still handle all that stuff myself because I, I really want to stay in touch with, what people are seeing or what their interests are, or if they happen to have a problem, you know, I want to have my hand on that. So yeah, you write to us through one of those and you will reach me. Cool. Very cool. And then you can stay with us for a little bit for the rest of the show. Yeah, sure. All right. Sure. Cool. All right. So Q, uh, so if you guys are familiar with the honey badger, the SBR, it has an adjustable gas block. It's less than five pounds, which is pretty impressive. One in five twist. That's also impressive. I don't think that there is any other gun that has a barrel length of seven inches that has a one in five twist. 
And then, uh, just like with all of his other guns, uh, it has a cherry bomb muzzle break, which is pretty cool because it allows you to, uh, easily connect silencers and such. So if you guys want to check that out, go to liveq or die.com. And then let's get into that knowledge bomb. Dropping wisdom. Slinging truth. Prepare yourself for Knowledge Bomb. Today's Knowledge Bomb is brought to you by Tate. Today I have a story of a true American hero, Daniel Ken Inoue. He was the son of an American-Japanese immigrant. He was born in 1924, and in 1943 he tried to join the army three times. During this time, Japanese-Americans weren't exactly welcome in America. You would expect him to be deterred after being denied so many times. However, later he was asked why. This is what he said. My father looked straight ahead. I looked straight ahead. He cleared his throat and said, America's been good to us. It's given me two jobs and you and your brothers and sisters educations. We love this country. Whatever you do, do not dishonor your country. Remember, never dishonor your family as well. And if you must give your life, do so with honor. Daniel knew exactly what he meant. He left him with a yes, sir, goodbye. Finally being accepted in the military, he quickly became second lieutenant. With this, he earned a Thompson submachine gun. The reason he became second lieutenant was because he rescued a squad of Texans outnumbered five to one. Daniel took a bullet in the chest that would have passed through his heart if it weren't for a couple of dollar coins he had been keeping in a shirt pocket. These coins saved his life. In fact, they saved him from any injuries at all. Now promoted with his brand new Thompson, he was deployed to Colimastialo Ridge in Italy. This ridge was very well defended by the Germans. He started by crawling up to a machine gun bunker and clearing it with his Thompson. Now kneeling to move to the next bunker, he was shot through the torso that came inches from his spine. Unbeknownst to the Germans, all this did was piss him off. He crawled back to the bunker to grab more grenades. Daniel then killed the Germans in the bunker that had shot him, and killed the Germans in the bunker next to him that had shot him. Now moving up to what would be his fifth bunker, the Germans seeing what he had done figured he was not a man to be easily taken out. One grabbed a rifle-mounted grenade, and as Daniel was pulling the pin on his grenade, he was blasted point-blank in the arm, that was holding the live grenade. Now looking down at his arm, being held on by just a few strands of flesh, he picked up the live grenade with his left hand and threw it into the bunker, killing all the Germans inside. Daniel, being the badass he is, decided he hadn't had enough. So he loaded his Thompson and charged the remaining Germans, firing his Thompson left-handed at the hip. After killing 25 Germans and wounding 8 more, he was shot in the leg. He lost his footing and fell down against a tree. After his team pushed up to him and asked him if he needed to be pulled back for medical attention, he refused until the Americans had pushed the Germans and secured the ridge. Now getting medical attention, prior to the amputation of his arm, he was given so much morphine that they didn't want to give him any more. So he went through the amputation, stitching, and cauterization without any anesthetic. Daniel being the badass he was, became the senator for Hawaii for nine terms. And at the age of 88, 
Daniel passed away in 2012. From his heroic actions on that ridge in Italy, he earned many prestigious awards, one of them being the Medal of Honor. My name is Tate Messman, and I hope you enjoyed this knowledge bomb. So I don't know if you guys have been on the Sports and Guide website or not, but they have a killer sale going on with uh, camping gear. So summer is right around the corner, depending on what state you're in. I know it just snowed recently in Colorado, so uh, summer isn't as quickly approaching as it is in some states. But definitely now is the time to get um, your camping gear. I think it's like 20% off. They sell all kinds of stuff, tents, sleeping bags, survival gear, just a bunch of camping essentials. So definitely check them out at sportsmansguide.com. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as... Never mind. AF. This was kind of funny. I was reading uh, the news and... It says Southwestern Rail investigating after worker broadcast porn to giggling passengers. And I picked this because I thought that it would be relative to uh, your guys' interests. <laughs> Chris, Sean. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> so I guess uh, one of the train employees was, I don't know, had their, they were watching porn and they had their, uh, the speaker on and it broadcast to everyone in the train. Kind of embarrassing. And this and yeah, this happened. So. This happened in the UK, so it wasn't in uh, the United States. But I don't, I don't even know how you would go about doing that. Like that's how how is that a mistake that gets made? Like I don't know. Do you have to yeah, continue it to? Seems like it was a reality show or a prank show or something like that. Well, I don't know how the speaker system works in a train, but I mean, I would imagine that you'd have to continue to press down on the button in order exactly. for you to broadcast. I don't know. Yeah, I would say it's just like a microphone or a CB type microphone, you know. Yeah, but who knows how they do it in the UK? Not I. All I know is, uh, yeah, that had to have been pretty embarrassing. <laughs> so it was just the audio, though. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm sitting here audio. trying to figure out if they like d- direct line in or what was what's going on. Do they plug their phone in to to like an input? What's going on here? How do you how do how do we get to that point? Like. Maybe he was, maybe his microphone was like attached to his shirt and he was like leaning on something and so it was accidentally actuating the mic. Or maybe he, here's the thing. I think I got it all figured out. Maybe he had the lotion bottle on top of the button that was pressing down. That's probably it, exactly. (laughs) You got it, you figured it out. You got it in one. I'm so smart. All right, let's hear from Polymer 80. Uh, so Palmer 80. So I saw actually, John, you had, uh, an 80% lower on your website. Yes, we do offer a, a Jack as the 80%. We'll likely offer some of the others down the road, but right now Jack is the, is the main one. So what's nice about the 80% is you can literally just have it shipped to your home. It's not considered a lower, like an actual, like complete lower, complete handgun. It's, you know, because you'll do the rest at home. Totally legal to do so, uh, depending on what state you live in. But most states, it's legal to do so. And uh, and it's kind of nice because then you don't have to mess with having to go to the store, pick it up from your, you know, your local gun store, your FFL dealer. 
And Polymer 80 offers a variety of different options. They have lowers, receiver sets as well, or, you know, they also have it in handguns. So definitely check them out. Use that code GUNFUNNY and that will get you 10% off. And that is at Polymer80.com. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Let's talk more about the Howa 1500 bolt action rifles. So you said that you are in the process of making one or creating one, but what about, like, what is it about that Howa bolt action rifle that attracted you? So we're creating a chassis for it, which is a lot like the 80% where they're not considered a firearm. I guess in the, the barreled actions, the trigger is attached to the action itself and I guess the ATF makes considers that the the firearm mm-hmm. in the bolt action space. So I really like the Hawas for a few different reasons. One, they're very low cost. Two, they're guaranteed sub MOA. And three, they're also lifetime guarantee. And I guess four, they have a very beautiful two and a half pound uh, two stage trigger. Wow. Um, which I think is fantastic. And then for us on the chassis side, like just turning this into a promo piece, I guess, like what I, I like that you can go to Brownells and buy a barreled action in your favorite caliber and it's, it's low cost. And then it will install into a chassis like ours with just two screws. There's no, there's, I mean, it's easier than building an AR. It's literally dropping into the chassis and two screws, and you are good to go. Dang, that's insane. I didn't realize yeah, that it only took two screws. So I think with, with you combine the Howa 1500, the, we're going to start with the mini action, primarily because I like the 6.5 Grendel so much. But we'll follow with the small action for 308 and 6.5 Creedmoor builds. But you can you will end up with our chassis and their barreled actions, you will end up being able to make a you know 1,000-yard capable guns for less than a thousand bucks easily. Wow. That is insane. And do you, do you know, kind of, do you have a rough idea of like what MSRP on your chassis is going to be? I do, but I, I just too early for me to say, I really have to, I really have to get one off of the machine and analyze the machine time before we can say what that, what that is. But I'm, I am trying for it to be low cost, much lower cost. You know, if I look at other chassis manufacturers out there, uh, JP Precision is one who I, I really, really love products by JP Precision. They make a, a chassis for the Remington 700 and it's, you know, like a $1,600 chassis. Mm-hmm. Ours is going to be sub 500 bucks and I'm going to try and be much lower than 500 bucks. Wow. That's, that's as much as I could say right now. Very nice. All right, cool. All right. So now it's time for iTunes reviews. So this one came from JS338, five stars, the funniest gun podcast out there. The funniest firearms podcast around just keeps getting better. Too many other firearm shows devolve to annoying complaint sessions about every little thing the hosts don't like and don't keep the audience entertained. In contrast, Ava does an awesome job keeping the show on important topics in the industry while making sure we get some great laughs in every week. Always number one in my podcast queue. Aww. And then this one from uh, Texas Pistolero, five stars, and yet another great show. Good show again, except for Tate. Just kidding. Phil Derringer. (laughs) 
All right. So John, I want you to pick a winner out of those two reviews and they will receive a prize pack. They're actually going to get one of Gun Funny's newest patches, which is blue and it is only for listeners. Um, I would choose JS338. Okay. Perfect. But so if Texas Pistolero is really upset, he can email me and I'll send him a patch or something like that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he he's been leaving reviews uh for the last couple episodes, so he might be in contact with you. Who knows? All right, and now we are gonna wrap up. So guys, if you wanna look for us, we're at gunfunny.com. There's links to everything. Uh there's links to my newest YouTube page. So there's the Gunfunny YouTube page, which we just post audio to. And then uh I created my own YouTube where I've been doing some gun reviews and stuff. So you'll find it on gunfunny.com as well. And if you can't get enough, consider becoming a Patreon. We're always having a lot of laughs in our uh patron only Facebook page. It's pretty inappropriate. Uh, so, you know, enter at your own risk. But for a dollar, you get access to our Patreon only Facebook page. Five dollars, you get entered into our monthly raffle to win cool stuff. And then it just kind of goes up from there. Or your Patreon pledge allows us to afford like an editor. So, um, if you think the show sounds better, it's because of Kenny Ortega. He also posts the show. So we really appreciate Kenny. And then I want to thank our $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Charger Arms, Ryan Morrison, Kevin Brittingham, Michael Alexio, and Silencer Shop. And our king of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. So if you want to dethrone him, uh, you just have to pledge more than $100. And he wants me to say... Operator Tickles has to register every part of her body as a separate lethal weapon. Her spleen is considered a concealed weapon in over 50 states. <laughs> okay. Jon Snow is also the one who created the uh, Tickles sticker that you'll see on our website. Um, it's pretty funny. Tickles is my dog, but it's Operator Tech Tickles. And, uh, and then lastly, we're doing a tag pack giveaway every month. All you have to do to join is just go to gunfunny.com forward slash TP to win a box. Otherwise, if you want to go directly to tagpack.com, use the code gunfunny and you'll get a free SOG tool with your first box. And, uh, John, thank you again for joining us and spending time with us. And you have a really great story. I'm thank really you. glad that you didn't. You didn't go down that path of, of selling, you know, porn and stolen things. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It was, that, thanks for having me. It was, it was fun. Absolutely. And then just once again, where can listeners find you? Sharpsbros.com is the best place to go. All right, cool. So go check them out, guys. And we are out of here. Want to send feedback? Suggest a place to prank call? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact. <laughs>